This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place the Talk. Stand by, Rutherford County. The WGNS Action Line continues a search for truth. We welcome everyone to the program. My name is J. Paul Newman. My co-hosts are District Attorney General Jennings Jones and former District Attorney General William C. Weitzel, Jr. We appreciate WGNS providing the airtime. Most of all, we thank you for listening. Today, in our Inside the Court segment, General Jones will tell you about recent and upcoming grand jury, general sessions, and circuit court activity. On our Call to Conviction segment, we'll review a case that shocked the Murfreesboro, Tennessee community. It is the murder of 86-year-old Lois Jean Espy. With us today to discuss that case is Assistant District Attorney Dana Miner. We will begin the broadcast after you listen to these important messages. From News Radio WGNS, it's your Snow Patrol Report. We appreciate you tuning in on this frigid Friday morning, today, January 7th. We wanted to go back to the list of different closures in Rutherford County in case you're tuning in late. MTSU, the university is closed today, Friday, due to inclement weather. University offices will all be closed except for operations that are essential to public safety and service to on-campus residents. Now, the virtual customs student orientation that was scheduled at MTSU, that will still take place. It is a virtual customs student orientation. Again, that is still on for MTSU. Also, as previously announced, Murfreesboro City Hall offices and city facilities will be closed, except for essential to public safety services. Again, all closed on Friday, today, January 7th, other than, of course, Murfreesboro Police and all those others who are essential to the safety of our community. For example, the salt trucks, they have been busy non-stop. Murfreesboro Transit, their rover bus, it's not going to be running today on Friday due to the inclement weather. Murfreesboro Solid Waste had only limited collection service yesterday, and they are completely suspended for today, Friday, due to the closing of Middle Point Landfill and, of course, the inclement weather. The Veterans Hospital, located here in Murfreesboro, they have announced that they are closed. The Alvin C. York VA Medical Center closed. Nashville VA Medical Center also closed today. And the VA Clinic in Meharry also closed. The Tennessee Valley Healthcare System made that announcement due to the local weather and road conditions. And most veteran appointments set for today on Friday at local VA locations have been changed to a virtual appointment or rescheduled. Again, the clinics that are closed or either opening late today will be Alvin C. York VA Medical Center, the Nashville VA Medical Center, and of course the clinic, the VA clinic at Meharry. VA emergency and urgent services remain available at both their Nashville and Murfreesboro campuses. In nearby Williamson County, all Williamson County government offices, including the Register of Deeds, County Clerk, Trustee, Property Assessor, the Courts, 
all closed today in Williamson County. In nearby Wilson County, City of Lebanon offices and the Jimmy Floyd Center closed today and Lebanon trash pickup will resume next week due to the snowstorm. Again, that's in Wilson County. You can see more alerts and updates for closings on our website at WGNSRadio.com. Thanks for tuning in on this cold Friday morning. You're listening to the show brought to you by the local district attorney's office in Rutherford County. For WGNS, I'm Scott Walker. As cold and flu season approaches, one of the best things that you can do to give somebody who is sick is a quart of Demas's chicken and rice soup. This is Peter Demas with Demas Family of Restaurants. This soup is my grandmother's recipe, and we have used this soup in order to help our family whenever we are sick. Just gives us a good comfort feeling. One of the things that you can also do is you can now ship that soup anywhere across the United States, and you can order that soup online at demasfamilykitchen.com. Come by our store, Music World and Drummer's Den. We're a full-line music instrument store with well over 5,000 square feet packed with great instruments in every category. In guitars, we're your local dealer for the two top acoustic guitar brands in the world, Martin and Taylor. We've got the best selection and prices anywhere in the state of Tennessee on these. This is Dave Kivanemi at Music World and Drummer's Den in Murfreesboro, 2762 South Church Street, across from Indian Hills Golf Course. This is Inside the Courts. A look at this month's trials, pleas, and grand jury action. Inside the Courts is presented as a courtesy of the Rutherford County Clerk's Office. Good morning, everyone. This is your District Attorney, Jennings Jones. And in this segment, I will be your tour guide as I take you inside the courts. We begin this segment by stating that none of the defendants named in upcoming trials or hearings have been convicted. And, of course... They are presumed by our law to be innocent. With that as a prelude, we will now go inside the courts. On February 6, 2021, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting at a duplex on Ewing Boulevard. At that residence, an altercation at a party had turned physical before multiple gunshots were fired, resulting in the death of 21-year-old Mr. Giovanni Gillis. Murfreesboro Police Detective Cody Thomas has been assigned as the lead investigator in this case. During the course of his investigation, Detective Thomas interviewed two witnesses who identified Larry Johnson as the shooter. Upon conclusion of the detective's investigation, Larry Johnson II was charged with the first-degree murder of Giovanni Gillis. Following a preliminary hearing in the General Sessions Court of Rutherford County on May 5, 2021, this case was bound over for presentment to the Rutherford County Grand Jury. Mr. Johnson is represented by counsel, Mr. Michael Flanagan, and currently remains in custody at the Rutherford County Adult Detention Center. The state is represented by counsel, Trevor Lynch. On June 27, 2018, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting on Old Las Casas Pike. Upon arrival, officers located Dylan Biddle Jr., who had sustained multiple gunshot wounds. Mr. Biddle later died from his injuries. Officers were also contacted about an unknown male that had been shot and was attempting to get into vehicles at the Reeves Rogers Elementary School. That male was later identified as Albert Mustafa. Detective Doug Arrington was assigned as lead investigator. 
Multiple witnesses were interviewed and evidence was collected from the scene of the crime. Upon the conclusion of the detective's investigation, it was determined that Albert Mustafa and Devante James went to a residence on Old Las Casas with the intent to commit a robbery. At that time, Mr. Biddle was a guest at the residence. Mr. Mustafa and Mr. James entered the residence and attempted to rob Mr. Biddle. During the course of the attempted robbery, Mr. Biddle was shot and killed. Before succumbing to his injuries, Mr. Biddle was able to return fire, resulting in Albert Mustafa sustaining a gunshot wound. Mustafa and James were charged with first-degree felony murder, aggravated robbery, employing a weapon during the commission of a dangerous felony, and conspiracy to commit the above. Mr. Mustafa is represented by counsel, Mr. Thomas Parkerson, while Mr. James is represented by Mr. Charles Ward. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On October 24th of last year, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting that occurred at the intersection of North Tennessee Boulevard and Stonewall Boulevard. Officers discovered the body of Mr. Blake Bolton, who had sustained two gunshot wounds. Murfreesboro Detective Albert Miles was assigned as lead investigator. Detective Miles has charged Mr. Gilliam with the first-degree murder of Mr. Bolton. Following a preliminary hearing on March 23, 2021, the case was bound over to the Rutherford County Grand Jury. The Grand Jury indicted Mr. Gilliam for the first-degree murder of the victim, especially aggravated robbery, burglary to an automobile, possession of methamphetamine with the intent to distribute, employment of a weapon during the commission of a dangerous felony, and conspiracy to commit the above. Mr. Gilliam is represented by Assistant Public Defender Jeff Burton. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. Mr. Gilliam remains in the custody of the Rutherford County Adult Detention Center, awaiting his next court date on November 23rd of this year. On April 30th, 2018, the Laverne Police Department responded to George Buchanan Drive in response to a shooting. Emergency personnel transported the victim, identified as a juvenile, to Vanderbilt Hospital, where the victim died from their injuries. Also present at the time of the shooting were the victim's younger siblings. Laverne Detective Scott Hudgens was assigned as lead investigator. It was determined that the victim had been shot in the face while attempting to buy a cell phone that had been advertised on social media. At the conclusion of the investigation, it was determined that Brian Berry and Marquise Hughes lured the victim to that location with the intent to rob him. During the course of the robbery, either Mr. Berry or Mr. Hughes shot the victim in the face. The defendant has been indicted for first-degree murder, aggravated robbery, and conspiracy to the same. Brian Berry is represented by counsel Mr. John Slager, while Marquise Hughes is represented by Mr. Ben Wetzel. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. This matter is currently set for trial to begin January the 24th. May 16th of 2017 the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to reports of multiple gunshots in the area of Gateway Apartments. Witnesses reported seeing a black male fleeing the area on foot. Additionally, a gunshot victim, Kendrick Love, was located in front of one of the apartment buildings. Mr. Love later died from the injuries he sustained in the shooting. Witnesses on the scene established that the victim went to meet an individual for the purposes of selling marijuana. Additional witnesses identified the individual as Tyshawn Patterson, who matched the description of the males seen running on foot just after the shooting. Murfreesboro Detective Doug Arrington has been assigned as the lead investigator at this case. 
At the conclusion of the detective's investigation, it was determined that Mr. Patterson went to the alleged marijuana deal armed with a firearm and had the intent to rob the victim. Mr. Patterson has been charged with first-degree murder and attempted aggravated robbery. He is represented by counsel Mr. Kyle Parks. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. This matter is scheduled for trial to begin February the 22nd. On the 26th of June, 2019, deputies with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department responded to a residence on Walnut Grove Road, where the homeowner, Mr. Terry Barber, was found deceased on the floor with his hands and feet bound together. Lead investigator, Rutherford County Detective Steve Brown, has charged three individuals, Devon Gailey, Brent Ross, and Vernice Farrar, with first-degree murder, especially aggravated kidnapping, aggravated robbery, aggravated burglary, and the fraudulent use of the victim's debit card. Following a preliminary hearing of the General Sessions Court of Rutherford County, this case was bound over to the grand jury. In June of 2020, the Rutherford County Grand Jury returned a true bill against all three defendants. Devon Gailey is represented by Mr. Luke Evans. Brent Ross is represented by Mr. Michael Jones. And Vernice Farrar is represented by Miss Amanda Gentry. A trial is scheduled for the dates of March 21st through the 25th. I will be representing the state in this matter, assisted by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On July 26th of 2020, deputies with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department responded to the residence of Mr. Eric Bixler. Upon arrival, deputies found Mr. Bixler deceased as the result of multiple stab wounds. A female companion of Mr. Bixler advised deputies that two armed men had attacked Mr. Bixler and held her at gunpoint while they searched the premises. The female heard Mr. Bixler being tortured by his assailants. Rutherford County Detective Ty Downing has been assigned as the lead investigator in this case. Following the detective's investigation, Mr. Christopher White and Mr. Christopher Robinson, both from Kentucky, were charged with first-degree murder, especially aggravated kidnapping, especially aggravated robbery, aggravated burglary, use of a firearm during the commission of a dangerous felony, and tampering with evidence. After a preliminary hearing in the General Sessions Court, the cases were bound over to the Rutherford County Grand Jury. In March of 2021, the Grand Jury returned a true bill against both. A trial date has been set for August 1st, 2022. On March 31st of 2019, the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a residence in Sunset Avenue. And once inside, officers discovered the body of Judith Montmayor. Miss Montmayor has been stabbed multiple times, resulting in her death. Upon conclusion of the investigation, lead investigator Detective Jacob Fountain with the Murfreesboro Police Department charged Mr. Montmayor with the first-degree murder of his wife. Mr. Montmayor appeared before the General Sessions Court in Rutherford County, and following a preliminary hearing, court bound the matter over for presentation to the grand jury. In November of 2019, the Rutherford County Grand Jury returned a true bill against Mr. Montmayor for first-degree murder. Mr. Montmeyer is represented by counsel, Assistant Public Defender Ben Wetzel. He remains in custody and awaits trial beginning May 9th. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch and Dana Miner. On December the 8th, 2016, the Murfreesboro Police Department located the body of Francesca Gomez Cordero in a wooded area off of Elam Road. Francesca Gomez Cordero was a Hispanic female. Based upon their investigations, Murfreesboro detectives have now filed charges against Romulo Hernandez Mayorga. Mayorga has thus far eluded capture. 
If you have information regarding this case or the whereabouts of Ramilo Hernandez Mayorga, please contact Detective Doug Arrington of the Murfreesboro Police Department. The phone number to call is 615-893-1311. Again, that number is 615-893-1311. And that will conclude today's look inside the courts. From News Radio WGNS, it's your Snow Patrol Report. A lot of folks asking about the weather. You're tuned to WGNS Radio, your good neighbor station since 1947. Well, today is Friday, January 7th, and that cold weather continues. Today, throughout the day, we're going to see a mix of clouds and some sunshine. High today, only 26 degrees. Again, high today, only 26 degrees. It will be down to 15 degrees later tonight. However, we will have clear skies tonight. On Saturday, mostly sunny, high of 47, low down to 41 Saturday night. Sunday, high of 52, low down to 27, and rain expected. In fact, they're calling for a 100% chance of rain come Sunday with that high of 52 and the low down to 27. Then come Monday, high of 43 and sunny, low down to 18 on Monday. And Tuesday, high of 38, sunny out there Tuesday, low down to 24. For WGNS, I'm Scott Walker. It's so important that we recognize our veterans, shake their hands and say how proud we are of the service that they have given to our country and that we thank them for that. I am Becky Bookner and we salute our veterans. Hi, this is Gator with Tire World Off-Road. We're your local rough country dealer. So when you're ready to add some character to your rig, ask for Gator at Tire World Off-Road on Memorial Boulevard. This is Sean Brown at Tire World on Broad Street. Online at tireworld.us. We're talking with Glenn King, a World War II veteran. I dropped out of high school and joined the Marines. WGNS proudly salutes and remembers our U.S. veterans who have served our country. When I came back to the States, I was stationed in the Marine barracks in Washington, D.C. We were assigned to the White House, and we did a lot of traveling with President Truman. Did you have interactions with President Truman back then? Yes. When President Roosevelt was president, he found out that there was a CCC camp 80 miles west of Washington. You said the CCC. What is that? Civilian Conservation Corps. It was on top of a mountain in Thurmont, Maryland. He commandeered the CCC camp for his rest camp, and Roosevelt named it Shangri-La. President Truman had the presidential party up there. We all would eat uh, three meals a day in the CCC mess hall. In the mess hall down the middle was a great big curtain. President's party was on one side, and the Marine detachment was on the other side. And every once in a while, President Truman would come and swing that curtain back, sit down and talk to us. And what he would say is, son, what state are you from? When they mentioned the state, oh, I know your senator real well, real well. When President Truman took the reins, he renamed what Roosevelt called Camp Shangri-La. The new name was Camp David. This has been a salute to veterans. 
Restoration One of Middle Tennessee. A team of experts and immediate responders who help homeowners after disaster strikes. After disaster strikes. Fire, water, or storm damage. We can help you get your life back to normal quickly. Restoration One Middle Tennessee.com. Locally and veteran. If you're not waking up to the wake up crew, here's what you've been missing. You can only get that on the wake up crew, right? Yes. <laughs> no one else is talking about it at all. <laughs> Don't miss the wake up crew with John, Brian, and Dalton. From call to conviction, time now for a look back at one of the more intriguing and important cases for this community. From the crime, the investigation, to the prosecution. Our case study today is one that contains extreme violence and very disturbing facts. Listener discretion is advised. It is the early morning hours of February the 23rd, 2015. The location is Mullins Mill Road in Bedford County, Tennessee. A local resident has just discovered a body on the side of the road. He immediately calls 911. When the police arrive, they discover that the body is that of an elderly woman. The woman is unclothed and her body has been mutilated. Her breasts have been removed. The Bedford County Sheriff's Office notifies the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. The Tennessee Crime Laboratory sends a team of forensic scientists to process the crime scene, and they also send several agents to investigate the crime itself. Their first task is to identify the body. During the autopsy, it is determined that the deceased woman had a surgically implanted hip replacement. A serial number is located on the device. That number leads to the identity of an elderly woman. 86-year-old Lois Jean Esby. Miss Esby lived at the Dusane Apartments in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Investigators immediately began interviewing neighbors and friends of Lois Esby. One of the people interviewed is the next-door neighbor, 60-year-old William Russell Brace. Brace tells investigators that he has not seen Miss Esby for several days and that he knows nothing about her murder. The police continue their investigation. A few days later, they decide to re-interview William Brace. It is the late night hours of February the 28th, 2015, when TBI agent Zachary Burkhardt begins the follow-up interview of William Brace. It is during this interview that William Russell Brace makes a shocking series of statements. He told Agent Burkhart that on the day Miss Esby disappeared, he went over to her apartment and that he choked Lois Jean Esby until she passed out. He then carried her to his apartment next door, and after he got her inside, he took a hunting knife and removed both of her breasts. He also admitted that he sexually assaulted Lois Esby. Then he stuffed her body into a suitcase loaded the suitcase into his van, and drove to Bedford County, where he dumped her body alongside the roadway. He said that he did not know why he did it. He told Agent Burkhardt, Lois Jean Esby was a sweet little old lady. Now I am not going to use the same words that William Brace used to conclude his statement to describe not only himself, but why he killed Lois Jean Esby. But he ended his statement by saying, I just snapped. I am a sick, 
blankety blank. Later that night, on March the 1st, 2015, William Russell Brace was arrested and charged with the murder of Lois Jean Espy. In November of 2015, the Rutherford County Grand Jury returned an indictment against William Russell Brace. The indictment charged Brace with first-degree murder, especially aggravated kidnapping, aggravated rape, and abuse of a corpse. The case was assigned to the court of Judge David Bragg. William Brace was represented by assistant public defenders Ray White and Rusty Perkins. The state prosecution team consisted of assistant district attorneys J. Paul Newman, Dana Miner, and Matt Westmoreland. After many months of court proceedings, the case was finally set for trial. Then, on February the 16th, 2017, as the trial date approached, William Russell Brace decided that he did not want a jury to decide his fate. Instead, Brace chose to plead guilty to the murder of Lois Jean Espy. Pursuant to the plea agreement, Judge Bragg sentenced Brace to life in prison. Brace was 60 years old when he killed 86-year-old Lois Jean Espy. Under this sentence, William Russell Brace will never be released from prison. When we return, we will tell you more about the case of the state of Tennessee versus William Russell Brace. From News Radio WGNS, it's your Snow Patrol report. The roads are slick, so make sure you are careful throughout the day today if you absolutely have to get out and about. Murfreesboro police say please stay home if you're able to. There have been a lot of wrecks, a lot of fender benders out there, so definitely use caution on the road if you do have to get out. You're tuned to WGNS today, Friday, January 7th. More from the District Attorney's Office in Rutherford County coming up next. For WGNS, I'm Scott Walker. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, capstarbank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender, Good Neighbor Talk covers issues you won't hear anywhere else. They're local issues. WTNS, AM, AM, FM, FM, online. News time right now, 843. I'm Scott Walker sitting at the news desk today, and we are going to continue to bring you up to date on different closures and happenings throughout Rutherford County throughout the show. And as a reminder, you can go to our website, wgnsradio.com, for all the latest enclosures. And of course, as you already know, all Rutherford County schools, Murfreesboro City schools, and all local private schools in Rutherford County are closed today. And the uh, extended school programs at each school also shut down today due to the inclement weather. Time again right now, 845. It is now my pleasure to welcome one of the attorneys who prosecuted this case, 
to the WGNS microphone. We say hello to Assistant District Attorney Dana Miner. General Miner, before we delve into the case itself, I would like for you to tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, where you were educated, what your duties are now, and specifically what motivated you to become an Assistant District Attorney. Thank you, Jay Paul. I grew up in Michigan mostly, although I spent some time in Alabama and Florida when I was younger. I then attended undergraduate and law school in Chicago, later coming down and relocating here to Tennessee. When I was in college, I did a short stint as a domestic violence advocate. What that means is that I assisted domestic violence victims through the court process in Chicago. That gave me a passion and a goal to work with victims of domestic violence. That has always been um, my passion and where I wanted to focus my career. Later in law school, I also did some work with domestic violence victims and did an internship at the Cook County State's Attorney's Office, the prosecution arm in Chicago. When I relocated down to Murfreesboro, Tennessee, I was lucky enough to land an interview with then-District Attorney Bill Weitzel for an open position as a domestic violence prosecutor in the General Sessions Court. That was in 2011, and I've been with the DA's office ever since. My specialization, if you would say, is domestic violence, but the last few years have been a generalist in the Circuit Court Division. General Minor, this case was a true team effort. Tell us, who were the officers and investigators who investigated this case, and what roles did each of these officers play in prosecuting William Russell Brace? As an overview, we had officers from Bedford County here in Murfreesboro and also the TBI that were all integral to getting this case solved. Early that morning, officers from Bedford County responded from the Bedford County Sheriff's Department. They secured the scene and took the original report. Detective Jason Kennedy. Detective Kennedy assessed the situation and requested assistance from the TBI. So the TBI got involved pretty soon in the investigation. They sent a team of forensic scientists to process the Bedford County crime scene. They included Missy Mathis, Miranda Gads, and Charlie Castle Buono, among others. They also sent lead investigator Zachary Burkhart, who brought with him special agents Russ Winkler, Doug Long, Josh Savely, Caleb Utterback, Joey Boyd, and Stephen Kennard. All of these agents participated in witness interviews, processing crime scenes, obtaining search warrants, and developing investigative leads with the Murfreesboro Police Department. When this case began, all the investigators knew was that an unclothed, mutilated elderly woman had been dumped on the side of the road. Can you describe in in a little more detail how they were able to determine the identity of that woman? Sure, Jay Paul. I know you went over that a little bit when reviewing the case, but an autopsy was performed by Dr. Thomas Deering, and during that autopsy, it was discovered that the victim had a hip replacement. That hip replacement had a serial number, and with the help of the medical staff and detectives, were able to determine that the particular hip replacement was implanted in Lois Jean Ebsey. From there, the police built on the identification through normal identification techniques. What injuries did the medical examiner determine were inflicted on Lois Jean Espy? It was quite awful. She had quite a few injuries. She had abrasions and contusions to her neck, chin, and face. She had a fractured sternum, a fractured clavicle, 16 fractured ribs. Both of her breasts had been removed. And among other injuries, she had a sock that had been forced down her throat. 
There was also evidence that she had been raped. And some of these injuries were before her death, and some of these injuries may have happened after her death. Um, her cause of death was multiple blunt force injuries and asphyxia. We never want to forget about the victim in a case like this. What can you tell us about Lois Jean Espy? Jay Paul, Miss Espy is one of those victims where their story is so heartbreaking. She was 86 years old. She lived at the Dusan Apartments in Murfreesboro. She was a Christian who lived her faith, heavily involved in prison ministry and ministry in general. As we prepared the case for trial, we discovered that two of the men she'd helped through ministry had talked to her the afternoon she was killed. Those men came forward and did everything they could to assist us in prosecuting the case. And when you talk to these men, you truly get an understanding and a feeling for what a wonderful woman and selfless woman Miss Epsy really was. My next question is, what caused investigators to believe that William Brace was the person who actually killed Lois Jean Espy? When William Brace was first interviewed, he denied knowing anything about the death of Miss Espy. But as the police continued to investigate, they believed they needed to re-interview William Brace. That interview occurred on February 28, 2015, which was five days from when the body was discovered. And during this interview, William Brace confessed. His confession was corroborated when the TBI processed the apartment. In his bathroom, the TBI found Miss Espy's blood. You had the opportunity to review the interview of William Brace. What did he say about the murder? Brace said that he was a friend and neighbor of Miss Espy, and that earlier in the day he'd been watching the Daytona 500. He said after the race was over, he went over to Miss Espy's apartment. At some point, which he did not make clear, he began choking her. He said after he choked her, he took her next door to his apartment. He then said he took her to the bathroom. While he had her in the bathroom, he sexually assaulted her and cut off her breasts. He then said that he stuffed her into a suitcase, placed her in the van, and dumped her body along the roadside in Bedford County. He ended his statement by saying, I can't tell you why this happened. Jean was the sweetest little old lady you ever met. I just snapped. I'm a sick. And then he said something that we won't say on radio. After working on the case and reviewing all of the facts, including William Brace's confession, are you able to tell us what the motive or motives were in this case? That's an interesting question, Jay Paul, because motive is something we often talk about in regards to murder cases, something everyone's curious about and wants to know. In this case, there was absolutely no reason in the world that William Brace had to kill Miss Espy. The two of them had a friendship, they were neighbors, and they had no ill will between the two of them. It seems like when you're dealing with an individual with William Brace, he's just evil and sick, and motive doesn't have anything to do with it. We never want to criticize a victim, but we do want to learn from every case and what happened in this particular case. With that in mind, I want to ask you this. Based on everything you know about the case, was there anything that Lois Jean Espy could have done to avoid this happening to her? In short, no. I wish I could say there was a way that any of us could have avoided a situation like this. This is sort of a worst nightmare scenario for any one of us. But these are the actions of a man who is evil. He took advantage of Miss Espy's caring and compassion. I want to make it clear the problem did not rest with Miss Espy's actions. She did nothing. All of the blame is to be laid at the door of William Brace. General Minor, what can you tell us about the person who murdered Lois Jean Espy? Did he have a criminal record? William Brace was a 60-year-old 60 was 60 year old when he murdered Lois Espy. He was originally from Michigan and had moved to Murfreesboro a few years before he committed this crime. 
He lived at the same apartment that Miss Espy did, the Dusane apartments. He had moved there in November of 2013. He had worked in a couple of vape shops while he was here in Murfreesboro. And yes, he did have a prior felony record before he came to Tennessee. He had been convicted twice of robbery, once for assault. He had a conviction for a larceny of a building. All of these convictions were committed in the state of Michigan. He was not on probation or parole when he murdered Miss Espy. This case was unusual for so many reasons. When you think about this case, what thoughts cross your mind? Jay Paul, sometimes when we have murder cases, you can figure out what was going on, why there was a motive or why this murder might have happened. This is not one of those cases. This is a case of a truly evil individual. This is a case that makes no sense. There was no reason for it to happen. And it's also a fact scenario that is disturbing and heinous. Truly one of the most terrible things that I've seen in my years of prosecution. General Minor, we want to thank you and the other members of the prosecution team for the excellent work that was performed in bringing William Russell Brace to justice. Do you have any parting comments? Just to say that, like any of these cases, it took a large team to get William Brace convicted and that everyone involved, Bedford County, Murfreesboro Police Department, TBI, did an outstanding job putting together an amazing case that enabled us to get an easy verdict in without having to put the family through the extent of a trial. All the hard work of the team made it to where I believe that Mr. Brace knew he had no way out and therefore pled guilty. When we return, Bill Weitzel will be here for the What's the Law segment on your good neighbor station, WGNS. From News Radio WGNS, it's your Snow Patrol Report. As a reminder, and most of us already know this, all local schools are closed today in Rutherford County and the city of Murfreesboro, including local private schools closed today. No extended care listed for any of the schools at all today. Government offices, all state offices, across the state of Tennessee closed today. State employees will utilize work from home capabilities when possible throughout the day today. State services offered online will remain, of course, available. Murfreesboro City Hall, Murfreesboro City Court, and all meetings that were scheduled to take place in the city of Murfreesboro involving city government canceled today. Murfreesboro Transit, the rover system not operating today. Murfreesboro Solid Waste, has suspended all collection services because the Middle Point landfill is closed today and because of, of course, hazardous road conditions. Smyrna Town Hall closed, all Smyrna Park facilities closed, Smyrna Municipal Courts, they've canceled traffic school that was scheduled for Saturday, tomorrow, January 8th, and any impacted individuals may call the clerk's office if they can't make it to Smyrna Court at 615-355-5732. They can call them on Monday, January 10th, regarding a reset date. All branches of the Rutherford County Library System will be closed through Saturday. So closed today, Friday, and Saturday, all branches of the Rutherford County Library System. All Murfreesboro Medical Clinic locations will remain closed today for Friday. First Baptist Church, they'll be operating remotely via phone and email. That's First Baptist at 200 East Main, St. Paul's Parish Office, at 116 North Academy in Murfreesboro, closed but available by email. First Presbyterian Church, 210 North Spring Street in Murfreesboro, they have closed today and uh, their food drive was also canceled. As for local food banks, the Las Casas Food Bank 
which is put together by Las Casas Community Church and Las Casas Baptist Church. They had a food giveaway scheduled for Saturday, January 8th. They postponed that due to the weather. It will instead be January 15th. Again, that's for the Las Casas Food Bank. More details of closures on our website at WGNSRadio.com. For WGNS, I'm Scott Walker. What's the law? Time now for an examination of the laws of Tennessee. This is not intended to be legal advice and is being presented solely for the informational benefit of our listening audience. You should always consult with an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. Good morning. This is Bill Whitesell and Paul. This morning I want to talk a little bit about pleas in general. And, of course, we've just heard a case in which the defendant pled guilty to first-degree murder and received a life sentence. So I want to talk about guilty pleas. Typically, when a defendant decides to plead not guilty, which all defendants initially plead not guilty, they then decide whether to try to resolve their case and enter a plea or go to trial. If a defendant chooses to go to trial, the jury has two options. They can find the defendant guilty or they can find the defendant not guilty. And most people think or in their minds they perceive that a finding of a not guilty means that the defendant is innocent. But we don't have any option in the state of Tennessee for a jury to find a defendant innocent. And when they find a defendant not guilty, he or she might very well be innocent. But really, it's a statement by the jury that the state did not beat its burden of proof to show that the defendant was guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, which is a high burden. Of course, the defendant has the right to be represented by an attorney, and in virtually all felony cases, and in most misdemeanor cases, the defendants are represented by an attorney, but in rare instances, the defendant may not be represented by an attorney. But in any event, in either situation, the court has to advise the defendant they have the right to be represented by a lawyer. And in general, the court will question the defendant about the understanding of that right and will question whether the defendant is satisfied with the work that their lawyer has put forth on their behalf. It's very important for the lawyer to be present also and advise the court of what they've done in representing the defendant so they can convince the court that they have adequately represented the defendant's best interest. The court must also advise the defendant that he does not have to plead guilty. He has the right to plead not guilty and persist in that plea, that he he or she has the right to a jury trial, and at that trial that the court could compel the witnesses to appear on the defendant's behalf, that through the defendant's attorney, he or she would have the right to confront and cross-examine all the witnesses, and also that the defendant has the right against self-incrimination. In other words, they could not be forced to testify in their own trial. The court tells the defendant that by pleading guilty, there will not be any further trial, and by doing so, they will waive their right to a jury trial. In most cases, the agreement has been reached between the state and the defendant as to what charge they will plead guilty to and also what sentence they may receive or will receive. And in the event the court is not satisfied with that agreement, the court can reject that guilty plea. 
many times there are situations where the state will say, we will let you plead guilty to this charge, but we're going to require a sentencing hearing. And in that case, the court has to advise the defendant that there is no agreement as to the sentence and that it will be up to the court to set the sentence. All of these proceedings are recorded. The defendant is under oath, and the defendant must be advised that in answering the questions of the court, that if the defendant does not tell the truth, that his answers might be later used against him or her in the prosecution for perjury. Also, in certain sex offenses, there is what is known as community supervision for life or sex offender treatment that may be required based on the crime to which they're pleading guilty. So the court has to go over that aspect and make sure they understand that not only are they receiving a sentence, but once they're released from prison, they will be subject to these community supervision guidelines. One very important thing, and I'm going to ask General Minor in just a minute about this, is the court must be sure there is a factual basis before the court accepts the pleas. In other words, that the defendant understands the evidence against them and they know what the state basically would prove if the case went to trial. The whole reason for these questions is to ensure that the defendant is pleading guilty voluntarily and is not subject to any compulsion. So the court asks if they've been threatened or promised anything in return for their plea. They must ensure that they are of sound mind. They also ask if they're under the influence of any drugs or alcohol, which sounds kind of ridiculous, but it's required, and many defendants do not come from the jail, so certainly they would have access to alcohol. And all of this also is put into an agreement that is written It's signed by the defendant. All these rights are set forth. The court inquires of the defendant if he has reviewed the plea agreement, if they cannot read, whether the attorney has read it to them, and all of these factors to ensure that it's voluntary. General Minor, I want to ask you in the case against Mr. Brace, tell us about the process that you went through in giving the court a factual basis for Mr. Brace's plea of guilty. So in all cases, at the time of plea, if the defendant is pleading guilty to a felony plea, the defense attorney and the assistant district attorney have to get together and present a statement of fact to the judge to consider when the judge is making the decision of whether to accept the plea or not. In Mr. Brace's case, just like every other case, um, a short summary of the facts, similar to what J. Paul Newman said at the beginning of this program, talking about the William Brace case, was presented to the court. You want to make sure that all the important facts are included when making the statement. It's not the entire case, but enough facts to give the judge to where he understands what happened so that he can ensure that the agreement made between the parties is fair, that it's just and that it is consistent with our laws. You know, we hear the term plea bargain a lot, and when you put the word bargain in it, it implies that somebody's getting a good deal. And I think the public generally always thought that it was the defendant that got the good deal. But there are many things to consider in whether deciding to allow a or offer a defendant uh, the opportunity to plead guilty. And, you know, a lot of times it's like kind of like a poker game. 
you've got certain cards in your hand. The defendant has certain cards in their hand. And uh, sometimes you don't want to reveal their hand. Sometimes as a prosecutor, you may have a reluctant witness or a witness that's gone missing. Or you may have questions about some of the evidence, whether there's an issue with the search or seizure or whether the statement might be later deemed involuntary or or for some reason some of the evidence would get thrown out. So all of those things go into considering whether or not to offer a plea of guilty. In this case, as you said, uh, General Minor, you felt like Mr. Brace thought this is a pretty good case against him. There was no way out. And rather than go through a trial, he just accepted the punishment of life in prison, knowing that he would never get out of jail. In this case, I think the state got a good deal for this reason. Not only was the case strong, but it also cuts off any appeal. In other words, he doesn't have the right to appeal like you do after a jury trial, and that saves a lot of time and a lot of money and brings some finality to the case. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. He got life and he was 60 years old. So he's not going to be a free man again. That is what the state was interested in. In addition, her family doesn't have to go through that process of appeal. It is final closure. It gives finality as well as a positive result and keeping our community safe. And of course, as part of his plea of guilty, the court advises him that by pleading guilty, all rights of appeal will be terminated. So that's another issue that the court must guarantee that the defendant knows. I want to thank you for being here. Paul, I want to thank you. And General Jones, good to see you. And thank you for being here. As we end our program today, we want to thank our special guest, Rutherford County Assistant District Attorney Dana Miner. We appreciate WGNS providing the airtime. Most of all, we thank you for listening. We leave by saying, a safe community is the responsibility of each and every one of us. For Bill Weitzel Jr. and Jennings Jones, this is Paul Newman, bidding all of you a safe and blessed day. The District Attorney's Office thanks you for listening to today's program. If you have any information regarding criminal activity in our community, please contact one of our law enforcement agencies. The information presented on today's show is solely for informational benefit and not intended to be legal advice. You should always consult an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. Rutherford County's most trusted name in news. Talk Radio WGNS, Murfreesboro.